Hello, I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and welcome to episode three of my Raising Young Athletes podcast, Self-Identity. The focus of today's episode is the impact of self-identity on your young athlete's sports experiences. Let me tell you, there's nothing more important to your children's overall health and well-being as they advance toward adulthood than the development of a strong sense of self. When I talk about sense of self, I mean the way children come to think about and view themselves. There are two components to the sense of self that are relevant to your raising young athletes, self-identity and self-esteem. Your children's sports participation can play a vital role in the development of their sense of self and impact not only their athletic experiences and the influence of those athletic experiences on their overall development as people. Self-identity is basically the catalog of who your children perceive themselves to be, both as individuals and in the context of others. It includes their roles, for example, son or daughter, athlete, student, or friend, personal qualities, tall, determined, compassionate, and abilities, intelligent, athletic, studious. These attributes are relatively pure permanent. For example, I'm friendly rather than transient. For example, I'm hungry. Self-identity can be summed up in one simple question. Who am I? Self-identity isn't something your children are born with, though there certainly are innate influences that do shape self-identity but rather develop over time based on the accumulation of their experiences and interactions with others. One key aspect of self-identity is that the attributes that children come to associate with themselves can be either positive, such as I'm a hard worker, or negative, I'm a terrible student. Another thing about self-identity is that there isn't an evaluative component of self-identity, that is judgments that they make about how good or bad the attributes are. That's where self-esteem comes in, and I'll talk about self-esteem in a future podcast. Instead, self-identity is simply how your children describe themselves when asked who they are. Says Misty Copeland, a professional ballet dancer, I never thought of myself as special or particularly good at anything, but once I started ballet, suddenly I had a new identity. Prodigy. Within your children's broader self-identity that includes all aspects of their quote-unquote personness, they possess a subset related to sports that I refer to as athletic identity. Researchers characterize athletic identity as the extent to which people identify with the role of athlete and its influence on their overall self-identity. Athletic identity affects how young athletes view themselves in the sports context, how much of an impact their sports experiences have on them, and how they react to success and failure in competition. A strong athletic identity has been found to be highly correlated to self-confidence and discipline, positive health and fitness habits, and improved performance. However, there is also evidence that an athletic identity that assumes too great a role in a person's overall self-identity can have certain risks. For example, athletes who over-identify with their sports involvement are more likely to struggle following competitive failure, respond negatively to a serious injury, and focus excessively on their athletic life to the neglect of alternative educational and career opportunities. Clearly, you want your children to develop realistic and positive perceptions of themselves from their sports participation, that will result in the development of a healthy athletic identity. The more positive experiences your young athletes have, and the fewer aversive and stressful experiences they have in their athletic lives, the more that their sports involvement will contribute to a healthy athletic identity. Sports experiences that lead to strong athletic identities include fun, inspiration, improvement, participation in multiple sports, achievement of goals, teamwork, social support, unconditional love from parents, and success, of course. Unfortunately, sports don't always have a healthy impact on young athletes, as I've discussed previously. To the contrary, unhealthy athletic lives can cause children to develop athletic identities that are actually restrictive and fragile, 
and not only hurts their sports involvement, but can also take a toll on their overall personal development. Sports experiences that can lead to weak athletic identities include not having fun, being unmotivating, stressful, too early specialization in a sport, too early emphasis on winning, unrealistic goals, expectations from others, social pressure, burnout, injury, and excessive failure. From Brenda Shoshana, a PhD psychologist and a Zen practitioner says, unless we base our sense of identity upon the truth of who we are, it is impossible to attain true happiness. Also importantly, you want to ensure that your children's athletic identity is diverse and balanced rather than narrow and too heavily weighted in a few areas. Let me use a metaphor to help you better understand how athletic identity impacts your young athletes. Sports are like the stock market. It's very risky to invest all of your savings in one or two stocks. What's the danger? Well, that those stocks will go south and you'll lose most or all of your money. The same holds true for your children's athletic identity. If their athletic identities are invested in only a few areas of sport, for example, in one sport or only winning, when they don't play well or live up to their expectations, these outcomes threaten their athletic identities. If your children invest all of their athletic identity savings in their sports, particularly in just one sport, any losses could be devastating. Conversely, if you invest your savings in a diversified and balanced portfolio, you may lose some money with some of your investments, but probably not all of them, so the losses will be unfortunate, but not ruinous. The same holds true for your children's athletic identities. If they have an athletic identity that includes healthy values and multiple sports, as well as controllable factors such as fun, camaraderie, and effort, failures in sports will certainly be disappointing, but not crippling because they will have other sources of meaning, satisfaction, and joy in their lives. One way to determine the strength and the diversity of your children's athletic identity is to look at their emotional reactions before competitions. Are they really nervous or pretty calm? An athletic identity that is narrowly constructed will feel a considerable anxiety, because competitive failure will be viewed as a threat to its integrity. In contrast, an athletic identity that has a solid and diverse foundation will be sanguine because the consequences of failure will in no way endanger its stability. From the tennis legend Chris Everett, I was very, very shy as a younger girl, just petrified of people. Tennis helped me give me an identity and made me feel like somebody. After competitive failure, how do your children react emotionally? Do they feel disappointed or devastated? Disappointment, though certainly not pleasant, is actually a very positive and healthy emotion and indicative of a healthy athletic identity. When your children feel disappointment, it says that they care about their sport and that it plays a reasonable role in their athletic identities. You know your children are experiencing disappointment when they initially feel sad and dejected, but recover pretty quickly and become more motivated than ever. Devastation, in contrast, reveals an athletic identity that is on shaky ground because your children feel disappointment with the volume turned way up. They truly feel disconsolate and demoralized because their self-identity, who they are, has been threatened by the failure. Their reaction is to lose motivation and give up. From Zig Ziglar, an American author and motivational speaker, if you learn from defeat, you haven't lost. One of the most potentially harmful contributors to an unhealthy athletic identity is early specialization in one sport. The trend toward early specialization in a sport, as early as seven or eight years old, has been growing significantly in recent decades as stories of professional athletes, for example, Tiger Woods and the Williams sisters of tennis fame, all of whom were seemingly raised from birth to be superstars, have created the belief that early specialization is necessary, and a youth support culture in which parents not allowing their children to specialize was to doom them to a future of athletic failure and disappointment. 
The question of when to specialize torments every parent who wants to support their children's efforts as they pursue their own personal greatness in a sport. Unfortunately, there's no clear answer to this question, but there's some emerging research in the opinion of many experts that should help you in finding an answer that works best for your young athletes and your family. In 2016, a new initiative was established by more than three dozen sports organizations, including the U.S. Olympic Committee, U.S. Tennis Association, Major League Baseball, the National Football League, the National Hockey League, and the NCAA, that argues against the current trend toward early specialization in one sport, as defined as an exclusive commitment to a year-round sport before the age of 12 years old. Research indicates that specialization too early results in increases in overuse injuries, burnout, and dropout rates, and surprisingly, a decrease in overall athletic development. Other research describes how multi-sport participation by children can lead to more well-rounded athletes, greater long-term success, and just as importantly, lifelong enjoyment and participation in sports. Additionally, experts argue that early specialization has emotional and family costs as well. An early focus on one sport and an emphasis on winning early can create fragile athletic identities, fear of failure, and lower self-esteem. Family dynamics can also suffer. For example, children who feel pressure to win can experience anger and resentment toward their parents. It can hurt the parent-child relationship. From Catherine Pulsifer, an author, in all aspects of our lives, balance is key. Doing one thing too much can cause upset. Like the old saying goes, everything in moderation is the secret. Now, I should point out that this discussion of the dangers of early specialization isn't relevant for every sport. For example, there are some sports, such as women's gymnastics, which competitors peak before they're 20 years old, that do require early specialization. Also, sports that are highly technical, for example, tennis, golf, and baseball, do require the acquisition of skills early in athletes' lives. However, early skill development doesn't require early specialization. At this time, there's ample evidence and examples that athletes can begin endurance sports, such as running, cycling, and triathlon, as late as their early 20s and reach world-class status. As an example, USA Triathlon, the sport's governing body, instituted a post-collegiate development program a few years ago. In this program, they identified and trained recent college graduates who are strong swimmers and runners. The result, after just a few years, is that the top two women in the world came out of the program including Gwen Jorgensen, the 2016 Olympic gold medalist in triathlon. Says Tony Dungy, two-time Super Bowl winning coach, balance provides the chance for longevity. A question I ask myself often is whether times really have changed in the last few decades, such that an early and intensive start in the sport is now important to later success. Few athletes in any sport specialized at such a young age 20 or more years ago, yet they achieved remarkable levels of performance. There have certainly been advances in conditioning, technique, and equipment that, that can account for the improvements we see now compared to back in the day. But is it also due to athletes in the last two decades starting earlier and getting greater mastery in comparison to previous generations? One thing that is clear is that there is a critical period between the age of 7 and 12, during which time young bodies are best able to learn and master new skills. This fact raises the question of how much volume do young athletes need during that period to master the fundamentals that will allow them to reach a high level competitively and, at the same time, avoid injury and burnout. As far as I can tell, there isn't any definitive evidence of what that number is. For example, swings of a bat, club or racket, kicks of a ball, or whatever metric is used in other sports. One bit of information that is potentially telling as we explore this question is that, at least in some sports, 
Early success doesn't guarantee success later in children's athletic lives. For example, fewer than 30 Major League Baseball players played in the Little League World Series, and only one went on to become a Hall of Famer. And a 2013 study conducted by the U.S. Ski Team found that success before 15 years old wasn't predictive of who made the national team when the races matured. What this means is that early specialization doesn't appear to give kids a leg up in their athletic development in the long run. Additionally, a 2015 NCAA study of Division I athletes offered mixed answers to this question. For example, the majority of female gymnasts, men and women soccer players, and tennis players specialized in their sport by age 12. In contrast, the majority of football players, men and women lacrosse players, and men and women runners were multi-sport athletes. Moreover, there are also examples of so-called late bloomers who didn't specialize early or show early promise in their sport at all. Tim Duncan, five-time NBA champion basketball player, started out as a swimmer and only switched to basketball in high school. Alex Morgan, an Olympic soccer player, didn't play soccer until she was 13 years old. Clay Matthews, a Super Bowl champion and a six-time NFL Pro Bowl selection, didn't earn a college scholarship until he was a junior. Roberta Vinci, a professional tennis player, became the oldest woman to reach the top 10 for the first time at age 33. Holly Brooks, a Nordic skier, qualified for the 2010 Olympics at the age of 27 after only competing in one international competition. And finally, Misty Copeland, the professional dancer I quoted earlier, didn't start dancing until she was 13 years old. From Kevin Martin, a former NBA player, I'm a guy who has always been a late bloomer at every level. Who would have thought during my senior year of college that I would be where I am now? It's been a lot of hard work and never stopping. Realistically speaking, I can't think of any examples of late bloomers in golf or gymnastics or many other sports, which may mean that the above examples tend to be inspirational exceptions rather than the rule to follow. At the same time, we don't hear about athletes who didn't specialize until their early teens, and though they didn't reach the pinnacle of their sport, did earn college scholarships or even competed internationally because we don't hear about them in the media. We also don't hear about the many young athletes who followed the same path of early specialization as the superstars and still didn't make it because, for example, they lacked the innate talent, lost the motivation to continue, rebelled against the pressure placed on them by their parents, or just got injured. The words of experts and the evidence from the research are all well and good and probably consistent with what your mind is rationally telling you, but it's likely wildly out of whack with what other sports parents and our youth sports culture you're living in is telling you and what your heart is screaming at you. Facts and informed opinion may carry weight intellectually, but anecdotal observations, peer pressure from other sports parents, and the messages from our youth sports culture, however skewed they might be, weigh far more emotionally. You look at just about any sport these days, and the messages are very different than those of the experts. Across the country, sports venues are packed daily with kids as young as five years old playing soccer, lacrosse, baseball, football, tennis, golf, basketball, and many other sports. Plus, in so many sports these days, you hear about the superstars who were raised almost from day one to be champions. LeBron James, Gabby Douglas, Michael Phelps, Michelle Wee. These remarkable athletes are in the news constantly, so we're continuously being bombarded with the if your children don't specialize early, they'll never be superstars mentality. Also, youth sports are no longer for children and about fun these days. The quote-unquote youth sports industrial complex is big business that caters more to parents with big dreams for their children than to what is in the best interest of the children. So there's an entire industry comprised of private coaches, after-school sports programs, and summer camps that is sending the message that early specialization is necessary for your young athlete's long-term success. 
Truly, the messages that we as parents get is that if we don't get our kids on the athletic success train early, they'll be left behind at the station with no chance of getting on board. And doing this disservice to our children makes us really bad parents. And of course, I say that facetiously. So, which road should you go down? It's a big decision because it could, in theory, determine whether your children become superstars or benchwarmers. It could mean a youth filled with fun, participating in many sports, or burdened by injuries or busted dreams. And it could mean a strong and healthy athletic identity or a fragile and unhealthy athletic identity in your children. Because there is no clear answer to this question, your decision will be more personal, based not on what will ensure your children's future athletic success, because we just don't know how likely that is, but rather on your individual young athlete and your family. From Andy Smithson, a psychotherapist and parenting blogger, the sign of great parenting is not the child's behavior. The sign of truly great parenting is the parent's behavior. Now, several questions come to mind as you ponder this decision. First, what do your children want? Let's remember that as parents, we will be making decisions about our children's lives less and less as they grow. Plus, they're the ones actually practicing and competing, so they should have some say in their athletic lives. I've seen many young athletes who have had an unquenchable passion for one sport and were driven to specialize out of their sheer love of the sport. In these cases, the parents' responsibilities often guide their enthusiasm and energy in ways that will sate their burning desire to eat, sleep, and drink their sport, while also ensuring their physical and mental health and well-being in the long run. You can do this by creating an athletic and personal balance in your children's lives to ensure that their passion doesn't inadvertently turn into injury and burnout. Second, what is best for your family? Children specializing early in a sport impacts not only them, but your entire family, including you and their siblings. There are three resources that must be considered. First, how do you want your family to spend its time? Early specialization requires an immense family commitment of time, and any use of time involves opportunity costs. That is, time spent doing one thing is time not spent doing other things. Another resource that is usually in limited supply is money for families. So how do you want to spend your hard-earned money? Again, except for affluent families, there are significant opportunity costs. Money spent in one area is money not spent in another area. An additional resource that is also limited in parents is your energy. Do you want to expend considerable energy in your young athlete's early specialization? This energy can include finding and organizing teams and coaches, travel to and from practices, competitions, and training camps, maintaining equipment, plus the volunteering that's required in most youth sports. And as any sport parent knows, there are immense opportunity costs for you personally in terms of meeting your own physical, mental, and social needs, work, relationships with your spouse, and other interests you might have. Lastly, what will the impact of early specialization by one child have on your other children? Will the time, money, and energy devoted to one of your children negatively impact the attention you give your other children, as well as the opportunities and experiences they have to succeed, and just to live their own lives? A singular focus on one child can have real implications for siblings and your relationship with them. One more thought about this oh-so-difficult decision. As I ponder this discussion, I keep returning to one word, values. Ultimately, you must do what is consistent with your family's values. If you value a single-minded focus on one sport at an early age for one or more of your children and are willing to make choices led by that early specialization, hey, more power to you. Who am I to argue? At the same time, if you don't see the value of early specialization and have other priorities for your children and family, more power to you as well. Finally, reducing everything that I've shared so far about early specialization, 
The takeaway is that if you want your kids to stay healthy, stay motivated, and perform better in the long run, the preponderance of expert opinion and the research indicates that multi-sport participation before adolescence is the way to go. Says Simon Sinek, an author and motivational speaker, champions are not the ones who always win races. Champions are the ones who get out there and try, and try harder the next time, and even harder the next time. Champion is a state of mind. They're devoted. They compete to best themselves as much, if not more, than they compete to best others. Champions are not just athletes. The best way to create a truly healthy athletic identity in your children is to provide them with values and experiences both within and outside of the athletic arena that foster balance. This notion of balance in children's athletic identity has importance both in their sports participation and in their broader self-identity and lives. A balanced athletic identity can play a valuable role in your children's sports participation at many levels. First, a balanced athletic identity means that your children will not place their happiness or their well-being on the line every time they compete because they will have a healthy perspective about success and failure in their athletic lives. I'll talk about that more in a future podcast. Second, they'll experience more fun in their sports participation. Third, their athletic experience will be more motivating, so they will be more likely to want to continue their sports participation rather than losing interest or burning out of their sport. Finally, your children will be more likely to remain healthy and avoid injury. A balanced athletic identity also has benefits for your children and their lives in general. When sports hold a reasonable place in their overall self-identities, they can better assert a positive influence on the other activities in their lives, such as school and friendships. Also, a balanced athletic identity won't incur the psychological, emotional, and physical costs that an imbalanced one can on other aspects of children's lives, such as stress, unhappiness, or injury. Balance can best be created in your children's athletic identities in several ways. It begins with establishing in them healthy values related to their sports participation. Values such as fun, effort, and sportsmanship lay the foundation for a truly enriching experience that your children couldn't find if unhealthy values, such as winning at all costs and selfishness, lie at the heart of their athletic experiences. Involvement in multiple sports early in your children's athletic lives, rather than specialization, is also a powerful way to instill balance in their athletic lives. By not placing all of their sports eggs in one basket, your young athletes are more likely to find enjoyment in the different sports, and because their athletic identity is diversified across several sports, they're less likely to feel negative, stressed, or devastated when they don't perform as well as they would have liked to in any one particular sport. Playing more than one sport also creates variety and different types of rewarding experiences, both of which will foster prolonged motivation and engagement, thus mitigating burnout and boredom. From J.J. Watt, an NFL player, if someone encourages your child to specialize in a single sport, that person generally does not have your child's best interests in mind. Another key aspect of a balanced athletic identity involves helping your young athletes to set goals about and focus on things of which they have control. For example, their conditioning, their sport training, nutrition, sleep, and effort in competitions. When you and your children emphasize what they can control in their athletic lives, success becomes more attainable and failure more avoidable and far less painful. You can help your children prioritize aspects of their sport that are within their control by identifying those areas and sending supportive messages to them. Perhaps the most important way to instill in your children a balanced athletic identity is to take the focus off of results and winning in their sports experiences, particularly early in their athletic lives. As you'll see throughout my podcast, 
This message is an important and persistent one I send to you constantly. In de-emphasizing outcomes, I don't mean to diminish the importance in the long run. That's what sports are about for many kids as they climb the competitive ladder. At the same time, establishing an athletic identity in your children that takes the focus off of winning has immediate and long-term benefits. Your young athletes will have a more positive sports experience in the short run and an increased likelihood of maintaining the desire to stay involved in their sport for the long term. Also, as I'll discuss in a later podcast, creating a balanced athletic identity that minimizes the importance of winning actually increases their chances of finding success in their sport. Finally, if you consider athletic identity as one slice of your children's overall self-identity pie, you can also create balance by ensuring that this slice isn't too big and as a result becomes the dominant influence in their general lives. You do this by helping your children to add other slices to their pie. That is, by enabling them to incorporate other enriching activities outside of sport to their self-identity, whether related to school, family, faith, performing arts, public service, hobbies, or any other activity that your children might participate in. Simply put, the more slices of the self-identity pie that your children have, the more positive impact their athletic identity will have on their overall self-identity. From Janet Kingsford, a parenting blogger, balance is not something you find, it's something you create. I'm Dr. Jim Taylor, and thanks for listening to Episode 3 of Raising Young Athletes. Be on the lookout for Episode 4 in the near future.